Welcome to the latest edition of the Fixed Interest podcast series. My name is Jan Friedrich. I'm the head of the Middle East Africa Solvents team. I'm joined today by Christianus Christens, who focuses on the GCC and is the lead analyst on several GCC sovereigns. Chris, with a significant increase in issues over the last years, the focus on the state of public finances in the GCC has increased a lot. What's the state of fiscal consolidation? Clearly, the GCC has made great strides in improving its fiscal position since 2016 when oil prices were at their lows. You can see that in the headline fiscal balances, and you can also see that in more structural measures of the fiscal stance, such as the non-oil primary balance as a share of non-oil GDP or the break-even oil prices. That being said, we do expect deficits to widen a bit in the GCC in 2019, and that's driven by two factors. Well, first of all, in 2018, there was an expansion of underlying fiscal policy across much of the region as countries used the windfall produced by higher oil prices to offset some of the negative impacts of austerity in 2016-2017 on social stability and growth. Some of those impacts were perhaps harsher than countries have anticipated. And that is going to be combined in 2019 with an expected moderation of oil prices. We do expect Brent to average $65 per barrel in 2019, down from 76 in 2018, and on average, we estimate that every $10 drop in oil prices widens the fiscal deficit by 4-5% GDP, depending on the country. You made reference to the fiscal break-even oil price. What are the trends in that indicator, and, and really how should we interpret it? It's not quite straightforward. Fiscal break-even oil price is the oil price that would be required for the budget to be in balance, assuming that spending fiscal policy does not change as oil prices fluctuate. It is a useful measure of the structural fiscal stance of the country. Essentially, it measures the non-oil deficit relative to oil production, and it can be less volatile than headline fiscal balances which gyrate with oil prices. That being said, break-even oil prices are not stable. So, for example, in 2016, when fiscal constraints really became quite evident for most countries in the GCC with oil prices falling, they cut spending, pushing break-even prices down. But now that oil prices have recovered, revenues better, that spending has recovered as well. But in general, break-even prices are still around $20 per barrel lower than they were in 2015-2016. So that's a measure of structural improvement. Still, they are above actual or expected oil price levels for many countries. So we estimate the break-even price at around $90 per barrel in Oman and uh, Saudi Arabia. We estimate it's still at around $100 per barrel in Bahrain. So countries clearly have a bit of work to do to reform their public finances. You mentioned some movement of fiscal reform measures in line with the oil price. But there have also been a lot of announcements by the governments on kind of um, reforming their fiscal management process, which, which historically are relatively weak. Um, often expenditures have been greatly exceeding the budget targets. What do you make of um, how sustainable and how, how strong these improvements in the fiscal management processes are? It still is a bit early to say. As you allude to, a good measure of fiscal discipline is the comparison of actual spending to budgeted or targeted spending. And that difference clearly shrank a lot in 2016-2017, whereas in prior years it was not uncommon for 
spending, say, in Saudi Arabia or Oman to be tens of percent higher than budgeted, it was much closer to targets in those years. But then there has been a bit of slippage in 2018 as revenues recovered. You haven't seen it in headline fiscal metrics because they have been buoyed by the revenue recovery, but it still remains to be seen whether fiscal discipline is here to stay, and 2019 could be a good test of that. More broadly, what do you see of uh, the commitment to, to reforms in the GCC region? There's two parts to reform. There's the economic reform, with a focus on diversifying economies and moving them away from a government-led model. And it's fair to say that there has been a structural change on that front, whereas before the pursuit of diversification usually meant big infrastructure projects, there has been now clear movement to implement regulatory reform in terms of relaxing foreign ownership restrictions, making it easier for foreigners to invest, and so on. On the fiscal side, we would see commitment reform as still very much dependent on the state of the oil market. So countries committed to a swathe of ambitious reforms in 2016 when oil prices hit their lows, and by and large, some of those have been implemented. So VAT in Saudi Arabia and the UAE, excise tax, subsidy reform, current spending restraint. But in 2018, when oil prices recovered, you saw some of that not rolled back, but offset by new measures on the spending side. So in Saudi Arabia, you saw multiple stimulus packages, a rollback of some of the cuts to public sector allowances. In Abu Dhabi, you saw a new stimulus package announced by, by the Crown Prince. Similarly, in Oman, you saw a widening of the underlying fiscal deficit. Political developments in the region clearly have received a lot of coverage recently. So what do you make of the impact of these developments, specifically in Saudi Arabia, on the macro numbers that we generally focus on? As we have said before on Saudi Arabia, we think that the political issues are most likely to be impacting normal growth and foreign direct investment as investors who might have been thinking about committing to projects on the ground in Saudi Arabia that may contribute to growth and diversification as those investors take a step back, adopt a wait-and-see approach. Normal growth and FDI were already very weak in 2017. There was some recovery in 2018. But in our forecasts, we don't build in that much of a pickup. We have always seen the diversification agenda, the growth agenda as being more of a long-term issue that's not going to be easy to implement. Therefore, when political issues such as the Hashogi case or the Ritz-Carlton affair emerge, that doesn't necessarily mean a lot of impact on our forecast. That being said, political risk is a feature of all of our GCC ratings, and that's the reason why the likes of Kuwait or Abu Dhabi were not rated AAA even when oil prices were above 100 and budget surpluses were in the double digits. We have recently downgraded Oman to WB plus uh, with a stable outlook, but the fiscal deficit there is still actually quite high. So what is supporting the rating and um, maybe can you talk about the sensitivities? As you say, fiscal and external deficits are still high in Oman. We expect fiscal and current account deficits are around, around 10% of GDP in 2019. So clearly worrying for, for many. The reason we stabilized the outlook after our downgrade late in 2018 is we do feel that there are some, some fiscal upsides in the medium term coming from oil production, 
gas production and associated economic activity. Clearly, Oman's oil production is below capacity. They have been investing heavily in it, but it is constrained by Oman's voluntary commitment to OPEC. Gas projects are doing very well. Hazan phase one has been successful, phase two is underway, and there are further projects in the pipeline. And we feel that in the medium term, those can narrow the, the fiscal and external deficits. It is also the case that our rating already builds in a fair amount of deterioration. So, for example, we do see debt increasing further to 60% of GDP by 2020. So there is a bit of room at the existing rating level for things to get worse. Clearly, if these projects do not pan out, if the government, contrary to our expectations, does not implement some of the reforms that we do expect that they ultimately will, such as VAT and excise tax and spending restraint, then that could be cause for a um, further negative action. And Oman has consistently surprised us on the downside in terms of fiscal deficits and the pace of reform. So that risk is clearly there, but we think that they are constrained to a much greater extent by the market. So they will have to do something. The crisis on Qatar, how is that now affecting the Qatari sovereign? So we stabilized the outlook on Qatar in 2018, where we did keep the rating one notch lower, a double A minus, compared to what it was before, double A. And that reflects the fact that even though Qatar has weathered the crisis much better than most observers expected, non-resident funding has come back, growth has been resilient, there hasn't been too much of an impact on fiscal and external balances from the government having to support the private sector. And in fact, we expect Qatar to be running fiscal and external surpluses going forward. Despite all of this, the blockade did exacerbate some of the negative trends that we had been seeing in Qatar before, which was a a build-up of debt, which with the latest 10 billion euro bond issuance is actually going to exceed 60% of GDP in 2019, so a fairly high number. And also the build-up of vulnerabilities in, in the banking sector in terms of dependence on non-resident funding. It has been seen as a good thing that non-resident funding has come back after initially fleeing in, in 2017, but that also means that those vulnerabilities are as high as they ever were before. Thanks for those insights, Chris, and thank you all for listening. We hope you join us for the next edition of Fixed Interest. Thank you.